For the last five weeks here at Freedoms, we've been going through a series called Joyful Generosity. And through this series, we have seen that when we give generously and sacrificially of our time and our energy and our talents and our financial resources, that is actually a form of worship. And on top of this, as we worship God with our joyful generosity, it makes a, a significant impact in the lives of people around us for the sake of eternity. Now, in, in less than two weeks, we have Thanksgiving coming up. And so with that in mind, we are switching focuses in, in the sermon series for the next few weeks. And we're focusing specifically on giving thanks for God's joyful generosity. We're going to be doing so by walking verse by verse through Psalm 100. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 100. And as you're turning there, I have a question I want you to think about in your mind. It's a big question, perhaps the biggest question of all. It's the question of what is the purpose of life? If someone came to, came to you and asked, what is the purpose of life, what would you say to them? It's certainly a big and important question. And as I look at the world around us, I, I see that there are many problems. I'm sure you see them as well. I mean, we see in the news seemingly every week about a mass shooting somewhere in America. We, we know that there are a lot of issues with drugs and with depression around our nation. Uh, we know there's a lot of political strife. Uh, we know that marriages are breaking down. You know, people are so insanely busy and just deal with crazy stress levels all the time. There are all kinds of problems all around us. As I consider those problems that are all around us and that we face in our lives, I think that you can ultimately trace them back to this fact that, that due to sin in our lives in this world, people by and large have lost sight of the purpose for which God has made them. And so we come back to that question of what is the purpose of life? Why did God create us? What's his, his goal for how we live our lives and the best answer I've ever seen to that comes from what is called the Westminster Shorter Catechism. It was written in the mid-1600s to really summarize the Bible's teachings. And its language, because it was written about 400 years ago, is a bit outdated compared to the way we speak today. But its truth still rings true for us. And it says the very first statement the Westminster Shorter Catechism, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And I think this is a great summary of, of what our purpose in life is. That our purpose in life is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But we so easily lose sight of that purpose. And so rather than glorifying God, it's so easy for people and even us at times to glorify politicians or to glorify athletes or to glorify celebrities. And by doing so, we put them up on a pedestal. And we look to them for a sense of hope and deliverance. It's easy for us in our hearts to glorify ourselves, to want to draw the attention of other people to ourselves and how good we are. Or we, or we put our own desires and interests up on a pedestal, elevating them well above the desires of other people or even the desires of God. And so we oftentimes have a misplaced glory in how we live our lives. On top of that, when it comes to what we enjoy, it's so easy to seek joy and pleasure and so many things besides God. Whether we seek our joy and our pleasure in how our sports teams are doing. Or our joy and pleasure in our successes at work or at school. Or in our hobbies or in our family. And a lot of people try to seek their sense of joy and pleasure in life from just these special experiences. 
vacations, travels, you know, high-risk things that they just give them a sense of, of adrenaline rush. Or they seek joy and pleasure through shopping and the things that money can buy or, or, or through the food that they eat. You know, we have this messed up sense of priorities. The Apostle Paul puts it well in, in Romans chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, when he says, Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Now, in our society, we may have a different list of idols that our hearts chase after, but this truth that he says in Romans 1 is still very pertinent to us today that our hearts are so easily pulled in so many different directions. And so we need to keep being reminded of the fact that our purpose in life is to glorify God and enjoy Him both now and forever. But we so easily get out of alignment with that. We we're kind of like a car, how a car with its suspension and its tires can get out of alignment. And when the car is out of alignment, the tires pull in different directions. And what ends up happening is undue wear and tear on the vehicle and on, on the tires. It can be difficult or even dangerous to drive if it gets too out of alignment. And so when you have a car that's out of alignment, you need to take it to a shop to get it realigned, to get the tires going in the right direction. And there are so many times in our lives where our lives kind of get out of whack. We get out of alignment a little bit and we need a recalibration and a realignment to put us back in line with God's purposes. And we're looking at Psalm 100, which is a beautiful picture for us of what it looks like to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So why don't we pray for us, and we're going to dig into Psalm 100. Father, we thank You that You, through Jesus, have provided us a way to know You. As we said earlier in the children's message, You give us the privilege of becoming Your sons and Your daughters through faith in Christ. And I pray that each one of us will make the most of that opportunity by, by following Jesus, by placing our faith in Him. Lord, as we look at this reality that we are called to glorify you and even to enjoy you, Lord, I pray that you will do a work in our hearts today and our minds, opening us in fresh ways to what it looks like to glorify you and to enjoy you. Lord, please, please fill our hearts with joy that comes from knowing you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I invite you to follow along in your Bibles as I read Psalm 100. I'm going to read it all. It's just five verses long. Psalm 100 says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Now we're going to be, over the next few weeks, walking through this passage verse by verse. But today we're going to focus specifically on verses 1 and 2. Now I want to make two observations from verses 1 and 2 about enjoying God. And the first observation is that as we relate to God, we ought to relate to him with a sense of enthusiastic joy. I mean, look with me to these verses. It says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. I mean, think about times when you have been in the presence of a joyful noise. I think, for instance, of Lambeau Field. Now, sometimes this year the noises there haven't been pure joy. It's been a bit of a challenging season if you've been a Packers fan. But you can picture times when Aaron Rodgers throws a touchdown pass as time is expiring to win the game. 
And when that happens at Lambeau Field, the, the, the whole crowd erupts with, with tremendous excitement. It's a, it's a truly joyful noise. And that's the idea that we need in our minds when it says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. It's this sense of, of victory, of excitement, of, of joy in how we are expressing ourselves to God. It says, serve the Lord with gladness. Where does gladness come from? Well, gladness comes from the overflow of a heart that is filled with a sense of happiness or a sense of warmth. The heart that is engaged in something that it is enjoying. I mean, gladness is certainly not a sense of begrudging. It's not, um, it's not reluctant in whatever it's focused on. It's delighting in whatever it's focused on. The psalmist says, serve the Lord with gladness. You see this enthusiastic joy here as well in the third phrase, come into his presence with singing. Think about the times when a person is naturally inclined to sing. I think, for instance, of my daughter. Her name is Tehila. She is six years old. She oftentimes has this natural joy that just overflows from her. Not always, but a lot of the time. And, and when she is happy, she sings. So she'll be sitting there playing with Legos or playing with Barbies or drawing a picture, and she'll just be singing. And she won't even be thinking about it. You can, you can tell, though, that, that you know, it's kind of fun, though, to listen to because um, she's frequently making up her own songs. Or she's singing this medley of a whole bunch of different songs she's cramming together. And um, I mean, it's Frozen, follow, um, I mean, Frozen song followed by a praise song followed by something she heard at school. And I mean, it just all is woven together. But, you know, she sings a lot and it just flows naturally. But there are times when she does not sing. She does not sing when she is unhappy or when she is angry or when she is sad. Those are times when singing does not come naturally to my daughter's mouth. But when she is happy, the songs flow. Now, some of us may naturally be singers. We just sing whenever we're happy. Some of us maybe not so much. But you think about the times when you're inclined to sing. When singing comes naturally, it's a time when your heart is pleased, when your heart is happy, when your heart is joyful. And the psalmist says, come into his presence with singing. And so what we see here in this, in this psalm is a sense of relating to God with enthusiastic joy. Now, a second observation I want to make here is that this enthusiastic joy comes because of a God-centered focus. It's not a generic sense of joy. No, it, it comes when the psalmist is focused on God. It says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. I mean, it's very clear that here that the psalmist is enjoying God. Again, it's not a generic sense of joy. It's not merely joy in the blessings that God gives. So oftentimes we focus on enjoying the blessings that God gives rather than enjoying God himself. And I think about Thanksgiving coming up in, in a couple weeks. It's a time of, of giving thanks to God. And it's very, very appropriate that when we recognize any sort of gift or blessing that God gives us in our lives, and every good thing we have is a gift from God, it's appropriate in those times to give the thanks back to Him. But what we see happening in this passage is not merely a joy that comes from the things that God gives us. It's a joy that comes 
from God himself and looking at God because it's a joy that understands that, that our ultimate treasure and our ultimate gift that God gives us is himself. I thought of a book as I was working on this message this week. The book is by a guy named John Piper. And the title, I think, gets it right. The title of the book is God is the Gospel. That God is the Gospel. He says in here, uh, he explains what he means there. And he says, when I say that God is the Gospel, I mean that the highest, best, final, decisive good of the Gospel, without which no other gifts would be good, is the glory of God in the face of Christ revealed for our everlasting enjoyment. The saving love of God is God's commitment to do everything necessary to enthrall us with what is most deeply and durably satisfying, namely himself. Since we are sinners and have no right and no desire to be enthralled with God, therefore God's love enacted a plan of redemption to provide that right and that desire. The supreme demonstration of God's love was the sending of his son to die for our sins and to rise again so that sinners might have the right to approach God and might have the pleasure of his presence forever. Now, I recognize that is a dense passage. If you want to chew on it a little bit more, I go on Frieden's Facebook page. I threw it on there on Friday. You can, you can chew on it a little bit more right there because there's so much beauty in there and so much truth in the goodness and the glory of God and how God himself is the greatest gift that he gives us. The joy of the gospel of what Christ has accomplished for us is not just simply that, that we get to have the hope of heaven. The best part of heaven is being in the presence of God. God is the central component of the gospel, and he's the greatest gift that he ever gives us, is that relationship with him. And so what we see here is a very God-centered focus of joy that comes from God. Now, it's interesting, as it says in this passage, come into his presence with singing. Come into his presence with singing. You think about the presence of God. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We already established earlier in the children's message that for the President of the United States, we as normal citizens of the U.S. cannot just readily enter his presence whenever we want to. But with God, we have that privilege through faith in Christ to enter the presence of the King of kings and the Lord of lords whenever we desire, whenever we wish, we may come into his presence. Now we should do so with a sense of reverence. I think of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah back in the Old Testament. He had a glimpse of God on his throne. And Isaiah's immediate response was saying, I am ruined. Because in the light of God's holiness, he recognized his sinfulness. Yet God offered a form of atonement there for, so that for Isaiah's sin so he could stand in God's presence. And God offers us a form of atonement through Jesus. So that we can become his sons and his daughters. And come confidently and joyfully into his presence. And what a privilege that is. It says also, serve the Lord with gladness. Serve the Lord with gladness. I mean, we have to understand here that this serving is not talking about doing things for God. Frequently when people think of serving someone, they think of, I need to do this and this and this, and you have a list of things you need to serve them in these ways. That's not really what it's talking about here. It's not talking about doing things for God. It's talking about worshiping God. Giving him everything we have. Coming to him as our master and as our Lord. 
I, I think of Joshua 24, 15, which famously uh, Joshua says, Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So again, Joshua is not saying, okay, my family and I are going to do a lot of things for God. That is not the root of what he's saying. He's saying, you know what, we are going to devote ourselves completely and wholeheartedly to him. He is our master. He is our Lord. And he is the one we're going to follow. And many people, when they think about submitting themselves to God in that way, they think, you know what, that's going to suck all the fun out of life. Have you ever heard that from people? They think, you know, I don't want to become a Christian because it's going to become a really boring, non-fun life. They think God is some cosmic killjoy that just is going to make your life really boring and dull and full of monotonous church stuff. But the reality is, as we see right in this passage, that when we come to God and serve him, we serve him with gladness. We bow down in joyful worship. It's exuberant, enthusiastic joy. I mean, and this is really a privilege, and this is not something we deserve, and it shows God's generosity. Because we do not deserve the ability to come into God's presence with joy. Instead, what we deserve when we come into God's presence is judgment and condemnation. Why? Because we're all incredibly sinful people in comparison with God's glory and God's holiness. So we deserve judgment and condemnation. Anything good we get from God is pure grace and it's based on his love and generosity, not in what we deserve. And we see in Colossians chapter 1 from the Apostle Paul, he says that God has transferred us out of the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I mean, that is an incredible privilege. It's not something we can do ourselves. It's something that God does for us when we come to faith in him. He transfers us from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of God. And in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says, he tells us what the appropriate response is. He says, therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. He says, this is your spiritual act of worship. So the way that we worship God is by laying ourselves down before him in surrender, saying, God, I'm going to submit myself to you. I want to follow you. And the reason we do that is an expression of gratitude. So what we see is that as we see clearly what God has done for us through Jesus, it wells up gratitude in us that then leads to worship, and that worship leads to joy. And there are many people even who identify themselves as Christians who go to church on a regular basis who really do not enjoy the relationship with God. I mean, they wouldn't characterize it as a source of joy. It might be something they do because that's what they've always done. It might be that they do that because that's what they're supposed to do. That's what their family does. But, and maybe they see there are good things that come out of it, but they don't necessarily identify it with joy. But what we see here in the Psalms and throughout Scripture is that we, we, when we truly see God for who he is, it brings a sense of joy. And I think the reason why people sometimes struggle with enjoying God is because we struggle to truly worship God. Jesus says that wherever our treasure is, there our heart will be also. And so if we are treasuring something more than God, it's going to be impossible for us to truly and fully enjoy him. Because what we're going to be doing then is seeking our joy and our pleasure in something else. So the call is for God to be on that pedestal. For us to, to be bowing down and worshiping him because he is worthy. And from that gratitude and from that worship comes joy. And joy is such a beautiful topic. I mean, it's a topic I think we all want joy in our lives. 
And the most lasting, durable sense of joy that's available is from God. That's why the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. The joy is not in circumstances. Because like we could go around this room today and all share about just hard things we have going on in our lives. Things that stink. Things that cause a whole lot of pain. The joy is not in circumstances. Otherwise, our joy is going to be going like this on a roller coaster all the time. But if we rejoice in the Lord and that privilege we have of knowing Him, that's a durable sense of joy. And our God, He is a joyous God. I think of C.S. Lewis's quote when he said, Joy is the serious business of heaven. I love that idea. And I think it's valid. Joy is the serious business of heaven because our God is a joyful God and He wants to share His joy with us. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And there are times in our lives where we need that sense of recalibration. And I'll say for me, Psalm 100 has been refreshing for me, even, if I, even as I've studied it this week. I've enjoyed Psalm 100 for many, many years. It's been one of my favorite psalms for a long time. But this week as I've been studying it, I mean, I, I've known it. I've had it memorized for years. But God really just, just really refreshed my heart in, in, in really encouraging ways this week. Just as I was focusing on, on the joy that's available from knowing God. I pray that as we go through this series, that he does the same thing for you, that he continues doing that for me as well, because we need that recalibration. We need that realignment because we so easily get out of whack. We, we, we get bogged down with stress and busyness and just the trials of life. And we need that injection of joy that comes from God. Now, we've been talking throughout the series about joyful generosity. And one of the really cool things about being involved in the church family is that the church gives us many opportunities to sacrificially and joyfully serve others. Here are pictures of, of people serving just here in the Freedons in the last, um, I guess it covers the last year or so, just a handful of different types of pictures. But we have the opportunity to serve God and serve each other with our, our time and our talents and our energy and, and with our other resources. And it's so encouraging to be able to be a part of worshiping God in this way. And along the way, be able to invest in the spiritual growth of other people. And right now, we are going through a process as a church, through a capital campaign, that specifically allows us to, to engage with God in joyful generosity with our financial resources. Through a capital campaign called Rooted in Faith, Giving to Grow. And I'd now like to invite up Rose Morgan and Bruce Barr. We would like to be able to give you an update of what's been going on. In this capital campaign, we've been uh, involved in it for, we've been preparing for it for months. Been involved in the early stages of the campaign uh, for the last handful of weeks. And today is a significant turning point uh, in a new phase of the campaign. So I'm going to hand the mic over to you all. Okay. And going to ask, first of all, 